Okay, well, let's, uh, let's start this morning. We are uh, in the next in our series uh, exploring the message of Luke. And this, morning is, this morning's title is Preparing the Way. And we're going to read some verses from Luke chapter 3, 18 verses from Luke chapter 3, which are going to come up on the screen behind me. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And so this is what it says. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas. God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it's written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough way smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then should we do, the crowds were asking him. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more than what you've, all, you've been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectantly. All of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We believe your word is living and active. It's like a double-edged sword and it cuts into the very issues of our heart and lives. And we thank you that you're a God who speaks to us today but you're a God who speaks out of great love for us. And so today we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak into our hearts, into our very hearts, and meet with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I was talking to a few leaders from churches from this area earlier this week. 
And one of them was uh, just telling a story, which I'm just going to recount to you. And it was of a baptism that they had. And in this baptism, uh, there was uh, a young guy getting baptized. And his story was that he had come to, this is how he came to faith. He had uh, been uh, thinking about, uh, reading about soldiers uh, under extreme pressure, under enemy attack, and, and in those moments, what helped them uh, press through, what helped them carry on. And what he was reading, what he read was that uh, it was often the issue of faith, belief in God, that caused people to keep going. And he's thinking, well, if soldiers under intense pressure, that's, that's been the experience of some soldiers under intense pressure, I better find out uh, whether uh, this is true, whether God is real. So he starts to pick up a Bible and starts to read through it by himself. And as he starts to read through the Bible, the Word of God, he sees Jesus Christ for the first time and he comes to faith. And that's his story at his baptism. Incredible. He reads the word of God and he sees Jesus Christ. This morning as we read the word of God, we are going to encounter Jesus Christ, the one who changes lives. You see, we all want to be loved, accepted and valued. Yet for many of us, that's not our experience. This world that we live in is in a mess. Relational breakdown surrounds us at every turn. Anxiety is at an epidemic proportion. War and the threat of wars fill our news. We want truth and justice, but we rarely see it. Debt is a millstone around hundreds and thousands of people's necks. And all we get are political sticking plaster solutions. To the, add to the mix, there is a deep distrust of organized religion. I mean, it really is hard to believe that we were once a majority Christian country. I want you to know that first century Israel, when uh, Luke wrote this, was no different. Their godly legacy was long gone. They were living under Roman control, being taxed to death by cruel puppet leaders. Religion was legalistic with very little sign of spiritual life. And people were in despair, longing for deliverance. And Luke's gospel stands as a beacon of hope in such days. For people then... And for us today. You see, Luke wants us to know that God is still in control. We heard that this morning in the worship. God is still sovereign despite circumstances. And in the first two verses, Luke, the doctor, he's used to being factual and precise. And in the opening two verses, he names the Roman emperor of the time. Local rulers who were ruling parts of Judea and the surrounding areas. He names the religious leaders. And then he introduces John the Baptist and Jesus into a real moment of history. Luke is underlining the fact 
that history isn't a random unfolding of events. History is his story. Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Caiaphas were real historical figures and not one of them were remotely good. Their reigns were marked by selfishness, fear, bloodshed. Deliverance was going to need to come from a better king. One that would bring justice, righteousness, love, mercy and lasting security. And Luke tells us that this king is Jesus. He is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He is the one who can save people from every generation. He's the one that can rescue us from the deepest pit we find ourselves in and give us hope, a hope that goes beyond the grave. Even better, God is the saviour. I don't know about you, but you must have heard all people around you say all sorts of things about who they think Jesus is. I remember as a little boy playing in the street and one of the boys, Sean Evans, uh, saying that Jesus was an alien. He said Jesus was an alien, came from outer space. People believe all sorts of things about Jesus, that he's a made-up figure. A crutch for the needy. That's what a lot of people think. Others accept he was a real person, but believe he was just deluded, or he was a charlatan, or worse than that. Some accept he was a great teacher, but ultimately just a good man. What about you? What do you who do you say that Jesus is? Maybe you've come here this morning. Maybe you've come here asking that question, who is Jesus? I want to tell you, Luke gives us the answer. You may have come this morning confused about who Jesus is. Luke helps us, straightens us out, helps us find the right path. John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for Jesus You see, Luke doesn't give us any option when he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, those verses I read from Isaiah. In Isaiah's day, every Jew could recount stories of God delivering his people. They remember back to when they were an oppressed nation in Egypt and God sends Moses and with signs and wonders leads them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and delivers them. But they also knew that their history was one of continually turning away from God. God would deliver them and then they would wander away and then God would have to send another deliverer. Like Joshua And then the judges like Ehud and Jephthah and Barak and Deborah and Gideon and Samson. And then after the judges, there was even kings like David. And so the people would turn back to God and yet they would then drift away because the heart issue wasn't dealt with. These deliverances were only ever temporary. And Isaiah's revelation 
He has a revelation that God would one day send a Savior who would deal with our waywardness, our sin problem, once and for all. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before it happened. Isaiah prophesied that a man who Luke tells us is John would come and prepare the way for the Lord. And the word that Isaiah uses for Lord, the word Yahweh, isn't just a deliverer. The word Lord is the covenant name for God himself. Isaiah is telling us that God would come, that God would break into our world. Jesus has come. He is the Son of God. And he has come to reveal to us God's love and mercy. Luke gives us no option. He doesn't give us the option to to think that this, this person who breaks into world history is just any old deliverer, a better deliverer. No, this deliverer is God's son, Jesus. And John's role, Luke tells us, John's role is to prepare the way for the king, make us ready for the king. John has come to roll out the red carpet that everyone would know that the king has arrived. The recent coronation of King Charles III, do you know how much it cost? They reckon somewhere between 100 million and 250 million pounds because of the security. Making, making the way for the king, the new king of England, cost a lot of money. We all had a day off work. We all watched it, or most of us may have watched it, will have watched it on the television. Preparing the way for an earthly king who's flawed just like us. We do a lot. What do we do? How do we make way for the king of kings and the lord of lords, the son of God? God didn't speak to rulers and authorities on their thrones in great cities. Instead, we're told he spoke to John in the desert. It's the way God works. He takes the foolish things of this world, the things that are despised, and he uses them because he wants us to know it's not about men of position and women of position. It's about God speaking. He wants us to know it's about him. He doesn't want us to be in any doubt this is about God himself. John's message is relevant to every one of us seeking today. So if you are here today seeking, this message is relevant to you. Maybe you've been wondering whether there's a God in heaven who loves us, who loves you. Maybe you're asking the question, can Jesus be trusted? Can I trust him with my life? Maybe we've been Christians for years, but we've been in a season of struggling and, and, and we're starting to doubt and ask questions. 
How do we outwork our faith in a world that seems to be so anti-God? John is telling us in these verses, John's message is one of preparing, doing groundwork in our lives. I don't know about you, but driving, uh, driving around over uh, these last couple of years, one of the things I've noticed is a lot of the time I seem to, seem to spend avoiding potholes in the road, especially after, after the, when it's been raining. And you're driving along and suddenly you see this hole in the road and, and the car coming the other way doesn't know what you're doing. But you, you swerve a little bit and, to avoid this gaping pothole in the road because you don't want to uh, lose a front tire. And the car driving the other way is wondering, what on earth is that idiot doing? Our roads are filled with potholes. It's been estimated that there are around 2 million potholes on our roads. I think most of us have probably driven past most of them at some point, haven't we? We feel like potholes everywhere. In John's day, ruts in the road were common. Carts, as they uh, went along the roads, they left ruts and, and the, the, the carts behind used to follow the ruts and these ruts would get deeper and deeper. And yet if the king or the emperor were to, to visit the area, they would have to sort the roads out. They would have to fill in the ruts. They would have to remove obstacles out of the way. Rocks which people would normally ride around or drive, uh, take a cart around would be moved out of the way and they would, they would, cre- they, they would try to flatten the road. But what if God were to come and break in and break into our lives? Isaiah says that mountains would need to be leveled and valleys filled in, not just ruts, but mountains would need to be removed. Valleys would need to be filled in to prepare the way for God's Son, to prepare the way for Jesus. And what John and Isaiah are talking about, they're talking about God coming and removing the sin problem in our life, that mountain, that obstacle that we can't move, we can't do anything about. Filling in that great gaping hole in our lives that no one else can fill. Stuff can't fill. That God-shaped hole in our lives. John is talking about how Jesus saves us and goes on saving us. The word salvation in, in the Bible is used, there's three tenses to it. God has saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us. Salvation is a process that goes on from the moment God starts, he finishes the work he started in our lives. The question this morning is, does God need to do any groundworks in our lives? The first thing that John says is that we need to start to trust in Jesus. John told people they needed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance, it's for those of you who are not used to the Bible, repentance is a Bible word. It's a, it's a, it comes from the Greek word metanoia. It means more than just a change of mind. It involves a change of heart. I mean, simply telling tax collectors to change their behavior just wasn't ever going to work. 
I remember talking to someone years ago, and we're talking about a situation, and a person in the church back in the day. And this person said to me, do they love Jesus? And I said, yes. And they said, well, tell them to sort it out then. And I, and I remember thinking, That's, I understand what you're saying, but that, that isn't going to impact them. That isn't going to change the way they're behaving. You see, that's little more than self-help. Try a bit harder. We all know that doesn't work because we've all tried harder and failed. And so that's why John says the axe is at the root of the tree when he's talking about it, talking about repentance. The axe is at the root of the tree. Unless there's genuine fruit, the tree's going to get cut down. You see, sin is a root problem, not a fruit problem. Sin is a heart issue which, spe- which spills into our lives. And in Isaiah 29 verse 13, Isaiah says this, The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. And human rules direct their worship of me. And that's why John tells the people, everyone who comes to him, the crowd that are coming to him, good and bad, whether they're tax collectors and sinners or Pharisees, John tells them all that they are a brood of vipers. Encouraging words, isn't it? When you go to hear some preacher, they say, you're a brood of vipers. What's he saying? Well, Tim Keller says John's point is that we are all children of that ancient serpent, the devil. What? Well, just like Adam, we have all been taken in by the devil's lies. You can't trust God. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. He's keeping what's best from you. We've all been taken in by the devil's lies and we believe that it's about us and not about God. It's about looking after number one rather than giving our lives to God. All have fallen short of God's glory. All of us have sinned. Paul tells the Romans in Romans 3.23. Only God can deal with the issues of our heart, the sin in our hearts. And the Bible says, Paul says that we are saved by grace, not by our effort. It is a work of God. Jesus comes into this world to rescue us and save us. And we do nothing to make it happen. We have no part in this other than saying, Jesus, save me. Put my trust in you to rescue me. It's all of God and none of us. It's all a work of grace. If we're seeking God, it's because he was first seeking us. If we found God, it's because he first found us. We were dead in sin and we've been made alive in Christ. That's what the Bible says. God works by his spirit to bring us to repentance. Our actions can never earn us forgiveness from God. Only Jesus' blood does that. That's why we break bread on a morning like this. Because it's Jesus' blood that we have forgiven. Because Jesus' blood has brought forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's what it says in Hebrews. 
That's why we're celebrating. So if you're here and you're wondering what on earth are they doing, we are celebrating the fact that our sin is dealt with and we are forgiven before a holy God. We are children of God. And only as we put our trust in Jesus' work on the cross to save us can we experience the forgiveness of sin. My own story is my life was a mess in my late teens and early 20s. I messed up so badly. And then one day God revealed himself to me again. Kindly in his mercy he came to me. I, I, put my, I, I, I came to him again. I said, Jesus, forgive me for the way I've behaved. And in a moment, it was dealt with. But for the following years, every time I prayed, I wept. I wept because God would be merciful to me. And I would pray and I would find the tears flowing. They were tears of repentance. Repentance is a process, not a one-off. We live repentant lives before God because we all know we don't get it right all the time we make mistakes we let God down and the first fruit of repentance we're told by John is baptism it's the first thing Jesus asks us to do he says in Matthew 28 he says go and tell tell everyone to to believe in Jesus and be baptized it's the first thing he asks us to do It was shocking to John's audience. It was shocking to the Jews of the day that John would say they had to be baptized. They understood the word baptism. It was an everyday Greek word. It it just meant immerse, drench in in water. They understood what the word meant. And they knew that in their history, people who were non-Jews, Gentiles, when they were coming to worship God, they needed to be baptized they needed a ritual cleansing so they would give themselves a bath and the Jews knew that so they understood baptism and John says no 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 you need to be baptized we us but we're Abraham's sons we're special we don't need to be baptized John says you need to be baptized They were shocked. You see, coming to faith in Christ, it's not about your history. It's not about your heritage. It's not about your parents go to church. It's not about the fact that you you went to a church school. It's about you coming before the living God and saying, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me for living without reference to you. Forgive me. I put my trust in what Jesus has done. And when you do that, God says, be baptized as a sign that you've put your trust in him. It was the soldiers and tax collectors and not the religious who responded. They knew they needed a heart change. Baptism is an outward sign of something happening in the heart. In baptism, we're saying we have fully put our trust in Jesus to rescue us. We're not trusting in ourselves. We are trusting in Jesus to save us. We completely identify with his death on our behalf. And so when we go into the water, we're saying, Jesus, just as you died on the cross for me, I am putting my trust in you. I am dying to my old life. 
And as we come out of the water of baptism, we're saying, Jesus, just as you rose to new life, you were raised to dead. I am raised from the, death, I, from the dead. I am raised to life with you, to live a new life. And by the power of your spirit in me, I'm going to endeavor to do that with your help. We are baptized into Christ. What about you? Have you are you a believer and not been baptized? Let me encourage you. Be baptized as a sign of your faith in Christ. We're going to be having a baptism in a couple of Sundays time. We would love to baptize. We've got a number of people ready to be baptized. But if that's you, you and you need to be baptized. Do it. Be baptized. John's starting point is to trust Jesus. He moves on to say, we need to obey Jesus. The 17th century Puritan Thomas Watson in his book, The Doctrine of Repentance, said repentance involved the recognition of sin, seeing sin for what it is, recognizing it in our lives, recognizing our rebellion against the God who created us. He says it's sorrow for sin, genuinely being sorry, God, I... I've offended you. That's the start of repentance. It's not about how we feel. It's about how God feels. And so you read in Isaiah, uh, sorry, in Psalm 51, David, who's committed some terrible sins, he says, against you, you only have I sinned. I mean, he'd sinned against lots of other people. He'd hurt lots of other people. But he says, first and foremost, I've offended you, the holy God. Sorrow for sin. It's confession of sin. God, I have let you down. I have sinned. I've done so much wrong. And as we confess our sin, God works in us by his spirit and we start to hate sin itself and we want to turn from it and live differently. That's what Thomas Watson says. Repentance starts with the realization we've offended God and then we realize that we've offended others as well. Remorse is just focusing on ourselves. We see that with Judas. Judas, who betrays Jesus, he is remorseful, he is sorrowful, but it's all about how he feels. It's not about how he has offended God. You see, John is saying genuine repentance leads to a heart change and a change of behavior. Change of conduct. Sometimes it happens immediately. I know people who've immediately stopped doing something, living in a particular way when they become a believer in Jesus. I know others who it's been a gradual process, week after week, month after month, year after year, being changed from one degree of glory to another. But when we have put our trust in Jesus, the change has started. Repentance involves responding to what God shows us about ourselves. What does it look like for you? John was specific. Stop doing certain things. For tax collectors, stop taking, stealing money from people, taking money that you shouldn't be taking. To the soldiers, he says, stop abusing your power and taking advantage of people. What does repentance look like for you in your daily life? Maybe it's stopping looking at some of the things that you look at. Maybe it's 
the way you speak about others. Maybe it's in the things that you're doing that you know if others knew they would be shocked. What does it look like for you? You see, if God can remove mountains in our lives, he can make us fruitful for doing good. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Our relationship with God should be seen in the way we treat others around us. We freely forgive because we've been freely forgiven. You know, John was bold as a lion. He challenges Herod, the king, and says, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be living with your brother's wife. And Herod doesn't show the fruit of repentance that John was looking for, and he throws him in prison and eventually cuts off his head. So easy to be Herod-like and hold others in prison because they have challenged us or offended us. We shouldn't do that. We should forgive as we've freely been forgiven. Finally, John expects us to receive Jesus' baptism. Baptism, as I've said, just simply meant to be soaked and immersed. Jesus is more powerful and greater than John. Jesus promises to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. He promises that God will come and dwell in us. The Holy Spirit will come and comfort us and guide us and empower us. That's what we read through John's Gospel, John chapter 16. This is good news, and yet the key is being saturated with the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Spirit is a guarantee that God loves and affirms us. That's what it says in Ephesians 1. And we know this because when Jesus himself was baptized, later in this same chapter, the Holy Spirit descends on him and God speaks over him, You are my beloved Son whom I love, and in you I'm well pleased. And if we are followers of Jesus, we are now in Christ. And you need to know that that's how God speaks over you. He loves you. He accepts you. He values you. He will eternally keep you safe. The things you've been looking for are found in God himself. Have we put our trust in Jesus? If you're here today and you've never done that, there's an opportunity for you to put your trust in him today to say, Jesus, rescue me, save me. I need saving. My life's a mess. Save me. Maybe today you need to put your trust in him. Need to put your trust in him again. You're a believer, but you've lost your way. You've just got caught up in all sorts of things and you need to renew your trust in him today. Maybe you've got entangled by sin as the writer to Hebrews says in chapter 12 verse 1. Been tangled in sin and it's tripped you up and you're thinking that you're, you're fed up with yourself. You think, oh, I'm a waste of space. Well, God is calling you to turn to him, to throw off some things with the help of the Spirit Maybe we need to be filled with the Spirit again. In fact, actually, we all need to be filled with the Spirit because it's a daily command. 
Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. And, and the tense is be filled and go on being filled with the Spirit. So we daily need to be filled with the Spirit if we're going to live the life that God wants us to, a fruitful life. And Jesus says, we just need to simply ask. Come and expect God to fill us with his Spirit to change our heart attitudes, our heart desires, to fill us with boldness in what we say and what we do. It's a simply a prayer away. We need to expect great things from a great God. He rules and reigns in the heavens. He is a great God. And we need to lift our eyes from our own circumstances and the troubles of our life and our world however bad they are, and we look to one who can flatten mountains, who can raise up valleys, who can make people who are messed up and fruitless, he can make us fruitful for him by the work of his spirit. John Newton's old hymn says, Come my soul, thy suit prepare. He's talking about how we come to pray. And this is one of the verses You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. He is a father in heaven who loves you deeply, passionately, and he wants you to be free. And the only way you'll be free is in his son Christ, living in Christ, living by the power of the Spirit. And so this morning, the challenge of Luke chapter 3 is a great one. God's prepared the way by sending John, by sending his son. And we just need to respond to the grace and mercy of God. And we need to be filled with the Spirit. And so I'm going to ask the band to come and join me. And so if you, if you just, I'd just like us to close our eyes for a moment. If you know that God has been speaking to you, maybe you know you want to give your life to him for the first time. Respond to this great offer of salvation. Maybe you know that you've got caught and you want to renew your faith in Christ today. You've drifted and... Maybe you know you've got entangled in some stuff and you want to be free. Maybe you know that you need to be filled with the Spirit again. If that's you, I I just want you to just lift your hand to where you are right now. No one else is watching and I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to worship. Just, Just lift your hand just so I can see who I'm praying for. You know, I, I just know I need God's Spirit every day. I need more. I, 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 I leak. <laughs> I need God to fill me. So as you lift your hands before God, God sees your heart. Heavenly Father, come by your Spirit right now. For those who... For those who are 
for the first time reaching out to you saying God I put my trust in Jesus save me Father come by your spirit and do what only you can do bring life spiritual life right now may people know the power of your spirit touching their hearts know that you're real that you're there that you're for them that Jesus died for them for those who are coming maybe coming back and saying I I just feel so I've been so far away Father just as in the story of the prodigal son run you come running to them to sweep them up in your arms Holy Spirit would you sweep them up in the tender embrace of the Father in heaven who loves them for those who are caught and tangled and ensnared with stuff who are saying please God help me break free Holy Spirit come and work in their heart help them to be able to confess their sin and to know freedom from sin the things that sort of dog them and seemingly they can't shake off and Lord, for those who are hungry for more of your spirit and they're coming asking, fill me afresh. Holy Spirit, come and fall on them afresh and do what only you can do. You are the promise of Jesus, the fire of God. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Touch our hearts and lives.